All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We got an awesome Thursday morning show coming up for you, including BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. He's my first guest today. When will you be able to visit family and loved ones in BC care homes and hospitals? That's coming up in just a moment. Looking ahead to today's show at 930 it's back to school with BC Teachers Federation President Terry Mooring and your calls to her. It's a big day on that file tomorrow. Premier John Horgan and Education Minister Rob Fleming set to announce more details on the back to school plan. So we're going to have a preview on that. There's a big ICBC announcement coming down at 10 a.m. Will you get a break on your auto insurance today? You should. You better get a break from ICBC today. I mean, come on. Traffic is way down. Accident rate is way down. ICBC's got to be saving money. You better be getting some money back from ICBC today. I mean, take a look around at the other provinces here. They're giving drivers a break. Manitoba, they just cut a check for every driver there for 150 bucks a driver. Private insurance companies doing rate cuts. I mean, ICBC, come on now. Show me the money here. That's coming up at 10 a.m. We'll have coverage of that for you. Also on the show today, I got ESPN reporter Ariel Helwani. This guy is great. He's back on the show today. We'll talk about the return of sports, hopefully. But first, let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and my guest, BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. Minister, it's nice to have you on again. Thank you. Good morning, Mike. Okay, it's a long weekend coming up, and for this is the usually, before the dark times, this is kind of the kickoff to summer, and a lot of people looking to get away. What is the message from the government to people uh, this weekend who may be thinking of doing some traveling? Stay home? Um, I think stay, uh, stay close to home. Uh, visit parks and go outside. Absolutely, we need to all do that for our mental health. Uh, it's going to be an uh, okay weekend. I, th- I hear there might be some rain, uh, but... Uh, it's going to be an okay weekend, and it's obviously the Victoria Day long weekend, but uh, I really think that people should uh, think twice before they do any non-essential travel. I think people are very reluctant in many of the communities people go from Seashell to the Gulf Islands, if you live uh, in the interior to the Shushwap. People are very reluctant wow. and concerned right now, and I think we should respect our fellow citizens and stay close to home and enjoy the weekend. How about access to long-term care and hospitals if you've got a loved one family member in a care home in hospital i just had a heartbreaking call on the open line the other day from a guy his wife had a stroke she's in hospital he can't go visit her you know when are, when know. are we going to start to relax some of those rules or is that possible I, I know when we've talked about it mike it affects my family as well so it's uh, everybody's affected by this and uh, we all know that visits in long-term care visits in hospital are important for people's health so we know that but we have to keep people safe uh, we've seen in other provinces, uh, th- people in the thousands dying in long-term care. In BC, we've had significant losses as well. Eighty-four people have died in long-term care, yeah. and so the, and, and so we know. And there were there've been 299 resident cases in acute care wards or in long-term care in BC, and 84 people have died. That tells you how serious this is when it gets into care homes. Right. And so the provisions restricting visits are going to stay in place for some time. And obviously, care homes and others are trying to do find ways virtually to address that. But it is uh, something I think about personally every day, uh, every night when I go to sleep. And and I know Dr. Henry does as well. I know uh, everyone involved in this does. But right now, 
for the safety of everybody involved, we can't make that change. And that's how hard it is. But we also know that the cost is enormous for people and, uh, and we have not lost sight of that. What about outdoor visits? I mean, I know this is something that Dr. Henry had raised as maybe a possibility if you could go and visit loved ones, if they're able to go outside and you could have a sort of a distance visit outside when the weather getting nice. Yeah, and I think those are all the things that we are we are looking at. Although it's not always, even that is not always even possible in many care homes because of the way they're situated, right? Um, so it's an issue we're continuing to think of. But I, I have to say, I think um, it's one we're going to continue to struggle with for some time. And um, I talk to people regularly who email me, and I try and respond personally to some of them. Can't do all of them, but it's often on this issue and. Uh, so I've heard what you've heard is, is how difficult this is for people. We are going to make some changes. There's some concerns in, with people with disabilities and getting people who are essential to them, speaking for them, um, to be with them at critical moments because they need them to communicate to, in some cases, to communicate, to make decisions. And so we are addressing some of these questions, but the basic uh, rule isn't going to change for some time. Speaking of BC Health Minister Adrian Dix, as you start ramping up those elective surgeries again, I note that part of the plan is to use private surgical clinics. You've been a big cl- a critic of private private surgery, private health care in the province. Is it is it just a little ironic that you're you got to help you got you're relying on the private clinics now to help you out through this? We do now. Um, we did about twelve thousand surgeries last year, which is you know around three or four percent of surgeries, so it's not a big number. Um, and remember, this is in the public health care system. So yeah. you need a surgery. You're not assigned to the hospital. You're assigned to the clinic. You don't pay. This is the public health care system as it's designed to work. Most doctor's offices for primary care are essentially private offices, private clinics, but it's a public insurance system. Right, right. And but so, it's, but it's and, a good, and thing. So it's a good is, thing we got those private surgery clinics now, though, right? Well, well I mean, you know, there's a, there's a debate about that. But what I've said yeah. to people, uh, Mike, is that uh, – and and – you know, uh, one might argue that if those resources weren't there, they could be in the public system sometimes. There's always those debates, right? But I'm not, uh, what I'm saying to people is this isn't about um, uh, old views. This is about addressing the, the situation that's in front of us. And I'm not going to, uh, when people have been waiting for surgery and people are waiting in pain, uh, I'm going to make sure to the best of my ability, and the government has to do this and the system has to do this, to the best of our ability to respond to this, the private surgery component is a very small part of it. The most important parts are getting the public system to work more hours a day in terms of surgery, to add weekend days. And uh, this is a, a plan that's going to take us 17 to 24 months. And then beyond that, to reduce surgical wait times, which is, as you know, an important priority for me. Let me ask you about opening up the BC economy. We did a segment on the show earlier this week, and I talked to some people who work in barbershops and salons who are nervous about going back to work and also wondering, where is the direction from government? Where are the guidelines to how we're supposed to operate? I heard Premier Horgan say, I believe it was yesterday, that maybe these businesses could be making some educated guesses about what they're supposed to do as we go forward here. Aren't you guys, don't you guys have the responsibility here to lead us and tell us what's going on and what the, and what the rules are? Instead yeah, of making educated I, uh, guesses? I, I think the guidelines in these sectors are being developed with the industry. You also don't want someone, say, sitting in my office who doesn't know the area, uh, making them alone. You have to work together to produce guidelines that are going to be effective in stopping the spread of the transmission. That's where we come in and also um, allow businesses to function, right? 
And so uh, that's the work that's being done now. In the presentation last week, there were it laid out some of the things in terms of uh, um, the personal services industry, which might call beauty salons and others, uh, to function. And all of those are going to be the same. We need to uh, have physical distancing where possible. And that means uh, for that industry, appointments. That means not people in waiting areas. It means using physical barriers, which perhaps not for hair, but perhaps for manicure and pedicure, for example, might um, uh, might be necessary because physical barriers really work. Uh, and so there's a series of things that are that were part of that presentation last week uh, that people can look at, and then we're working together to see that it happens because it has to be practical on the ground. People have to make these changes on the ground. Yeah. We talk about elective surgeries. Yeah. Well, it, those those elective surgeries can only go forward if we continue to stop the spread of COVID-19. And so it's important for everyone waiting for elective surgery. It's important for people who want to visit their loved ones in long-term care that we continue to do this. And so I understand the, the, that we've never done this before. Like, we've never come out of the situation before. We've never got into it like this, never come out of it like this. Yeah. And so there's lots of uncertainty, and I'm with people in that, and we just got to work together to keep each other safe, but also to keep uh, operating as a society. Let me ask you about this uh, plan that the government seems to be very enthusiastic about in getting uh, National Hockey League games going again in in British Columbia. I'll play a short clip here of uh, Premier John Horgan talking about the NHL returning to the ice. Here's the Premier. I believe we're in a good place to host. Uh, That's why I uh, uh, contacted the Commissioner. The Canucks have been working uh, very cooperatively with my Minister. We've heard from others around the, the league that have other ideas about perhaps having all of the games played uh, in British Columbia. We have uh, WHL uh, rinks in Victoria, in Kamloops, in Kelowna, in Prince George. Uh, The Kootenays have, uh, in in, uh, Cranbrook, has an outstanding facility as well. We have hotel space. So the the sky is really the limit. Wow, I mean, he lamed off a lot of cities there. All these cities going to be getting NHL games? Uh, Well, I think, Mike, uh, first of all, we need to see a plan, right? We need to see a plan because the most important thing is to keep people safe, including all the people that would be involved uh, right. in such an enterprise. So what applies to um, the barbershop, what applies to the beauty salon, what applies to the restaurant will apply to the NHL, which is that you have to have a plan that keeps people safe. And um, if you have that, then as the Premier says, the sky's the limit. Okay, when do you expect to get that plan? Do you have any indication from the uh, uh, Hockey League? Um, uh, honestly, I don't know, Mike. Uh, I know that the Premier has talked to um, uh, Mr. Bettman. I know that uh, uh, my colleague Lisa Bear is working on it. Yeah. Uh, our, our task will be to make sure that whatever that plan is uh, keeps people safe. And I think, I think everyone would agree, the most passionate Canucks fan would agree, that that's the number one priority. Do you think there would be a, a mental health benefit, maybe boost our morale if we could get this going in British Columbia? I, I think it'd be great if we can do it. Uh, I, th- I think it would be great if we can do it, absolutely. Yeah. But I also think that there's lots of important things in our province, right? And one of the differences between the NHL and, say, the WHL is that the WHL is very dependent on live attendance, gate receipts, right? Just as the Western Lacrosse Association is, just as uh, other leagues are, right? And so if you're looking at spectator sport, um, the leagues that we're talking about are not typical. Actually, the NHL and the NBA have TV contracts. So 
uh, you know, I think it's going to continue to be a difficult time because uh, what Dr. Henry has said about uh, mass gathering con- gatherings continues to be true is that we can't do that. And uh, you only need to read stories from Europe, which I know you have, about what ha- happened at soccer games and uh, yeah. earlier this year that led to the massive spread of COVID-19 to understand uh, why this is the case. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, anytime. Take care, Mike. I appreciate it. You too. That is Adrian Dix. He's BC's Minister of Health. What did you think about what he said there? Phone me up and tell me what you think about this idea of getting the National Hockey League going again in British Columbia. Do you think this is a priority for government? Phone me on that. If you have uh, family or loved ones in hospital or care homes and you're missing them, what do you think about his answer there on when you'll be able to visit them again? Phone me on this now, 604-280-9898 is the number, 604-280-9898, star 9898, toll free on your cell. This is Mike Smith, back with your calls. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about back to school. There's an announcement coming down tomorrow from Premier John Horgan and Education Minister Rob Fleming about with more details on a back to school plan. Let's talk about that now with my guest, Terry Mooring. She's the president of the BC Teachers Federation. Very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Hi, Terry. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for coming on. So this announcement tomorrow, do you have any insight or are you in the loop on this thing? What's happening? Well, we're working on some um, health and safety measures that need to be put in place in order for, you know, any kind of um, broader uh, resumption of in-class learning. And so, you know, that that work is still underway. Okay. What are the priorities for, for the union on that front? <laughs> So there, there's a number, like what um, both Bonnie, Dr. Bonnie Henry and the Minister of Education said that, you know, school, more students in schools would resume um, when it was safe to do so. And so, um, you know, first of all, uh, Dr. Henry needs to sort of talk about how it's safe to do so. And then there are certain things that need to be put in place um, that aren't there now. So, you know, uh, the general public might just assume that soap is available in every kind of uh, washroom area and every classroom area for kids to wash their hands, but that's actually not the case. So so there's a number of things that will have to be put in place in order to make sure that schools are safe spaces. And that's very possible to do, but but there's a lot of things to consider here, including, you know, how will students enter and exit the building? You know, we need to make sure that the overall density of, of people, including students, is reduced in schools. And so what is that going to look like? Things are going to look very different. What are you hearing from frontline teachers in the system, some of whom I'm sure may be concerned, got questions, they're worried? Mm -hmm. I I mean, I get emails from teachers who say they feel like they're being used like a a, a guinea pig here Mm -hmm. and potentially being required to go back to school and it's not safe yet or that this is being rushed. What are your thoughts? Well, part of the problem is that there's been a big gap between when we heard that schools could, you know, may very well uh, resume more broadly. We, we currently have about 5,000 students in schools right now. So currently we have teachers and support staff already in schools. They're already working with students. and That's already happening. And so um, what has happened, though, is, is we just don't have all the questions answered. And so when I'm asked about PPE from teachers, when I'm asked about, you know, uh, 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 the social distancing, when I'm asked about workload concerns, because there's a big concern, uh, the remote emergency learning that we're doing right now is very labor-intensive. And so, you know, what will that look like in, in a context where some teachers will be teaching in class? And so all of those sorts of questions need to be answered. And, you know, they haven't been answered yet. And so that, that's part of it. 
is that we those answers and those answers will come. I'm I'm very confident they will. But you know, in the meantime, there's been a lot of concern and worry about not having those answers, and that's been a problem. Right. Speaking of BCTF President Terry Mooring, a lot of teachers listening to you right now because I'm getting tweets from them, and and one of the tweets I just got says, "What what protocols? What safety protocols is the union insisting on mm-hmm. with the education ministry?" before teachers go back to work to ensure a safe workplace? Yeah, so we have a a long list of safety protocols that we have done a lot of careful research around and that need to be in place. And so that's the work that's underway right now is is looking at those safety protocols um, that need to be in place. You know, that's the conversations that are happening. That's the work that's been doing uh, happening right now. And I've heard from teachers too, believe me. Um, I I know the concerns um, that, and and I know the areas where absolutely 100% needs to be addressed. And so that's exactly what's underway right now. Okay. Do you have any concerns that this is being rushed in any way? Well, I, 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 I don't necessarily, you know, it, it depends on the date that they decide, you know, that schools will resume. And, and so, you know, what I anticipate is that there'll be, a, you know, a period of time where, you know, school districts will understand what they need to do in order to keep schools safe. We'll have time to put those measures in place. Um, that planning needs to be done with the local unions as well, um, because everyone needs to be comfortable that, you know, what what uh, happens is, is what needs to happen. In other words, there's one thing to put out expectations from government or guidelines or standards from government. It's another to make sure that they're implemented in 60 different school districts. So that, you know, that's a lot of work that needs to be done. And um, so, you know, I have a lot of confidence that uh, the government right now is really following the direction of the provincial health office. Um, I know that those, you know, there's guidelines that are coming out from that office, and so I, I don't doubt that things will be put into place. But you know, we need to see that teachers need to see that, and I, I, and and so does the union. So we're just waiting to see exactly what everything looks like. How many teachers been laid off here? I saw a headline the other day that maybe up to. 200 teachers could be laid off in Coquitlam, Mm -hmm. largely because of a dropping enrollment from international students. Is that triggering teacher layoffs? Well, there's a variety of things going on, and I know what what districts are doing right now is they're taking a look at what the international student um, situation will be in the coming year. And, you know, it it won't be zero, but it it will definitely be diminished. Some school districts, though, are taking the stance of, you know, this is temporary, and they want to make sure that they that those programs don't fold, in, in, you know, when they could temporarily diminish. And so, not all school districts are considering layoffs, but some are. Um, and you know, there there are a number of issues with uh, international students um, coming in anyway. Um, you know, it's somewhat problematic that that there is a, a bit of dependency that's developed uh, in some school districts. Uh, you know, for those for that money that that uh, international students bring in, and that really speaks to the underfunding uh, of the entire system that that you know hasn't really been addressed yet. Um, Sixteen years of underfunding is a long time, um, and while we've made made some strides, uh, you know, in the last few years, it still is not where it needs to be. Have, so. have teachers actually been laid off though? Well, there's a lot of talk, and there's been some I think notices issued in Coquitlam. 
Um, but uh, and I, I know that there's other ex- explorations happening in other districts in terms of how many teachers are going to be retiring this year, who's going to be taking a leave and that kind of thing. And so, you know, we were under a teacher shortage before this all happened. We had a significant teacher shortage, and so we still, you know, don't have enough teachers in the system um, for the need. You know, what's that, what is that going to look like moving forward into September when we're not sure what learning is going to look like in, in September? It's hard to predict. So it seems short-sighted for layoffs to be issued right now. All right. Speaking to BCTF President Terry Mooring, speaking of September and what things will look like, what is your what are your what what sort of thoughts are going through your mind about a back to school in in the fall? Like let's forget about the rest of this year. Who knows what that's going mm-hmm. to look like, but looking forward, we're told that maybe we'd get back to some kind of a new normal in in the fall. What do you think that is going to look like? And are are you worried about it because we we often hear reports about the fears of a second wave of this virus could hit in the fall. We see reports at a place like places like New York City where kids have gotten sick from this virus. What are your thoughts on what this is going to look like in the fall? And uh, so in the fall, what I'm, I'm anticipating that it's not going to look normal right away for sure, right? So I, I anticipate that we'll be under some sort of still phased in um, learning situation where we'll have some kids in schools and some, um, and some still re- learning remotely for a time. And then I think we're going to have to really look. I, mean, I know the doctor will be taking a look at our experience in BC and see, you know, what the recommendations will be going from there. Um, part of the problem or part of the issue, I think, right now is that there are so many concerning things happening around the world with this virus. Um, and sometimes it's really difficult to focus in on what's actually happening in BC, <laughs> um, where, you know, things are, are pretty good. Um, and the, it's been impressive how, you know, government has really stepped back and really let um, the health uh, and, and, and data kind of um, move things forward. And certainly Dr. Bonnie Henry has been giving the direction and, um, and government has been following that. So that's been really positive and perhaps different uh, from other jurisdictions. But, uh, but it's really an uncertain time. Uh, you know, there is a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot of stress and anxiety out there. And it's all very understandable given the un- unpredictable nature of, of the situation that we're in. All right, welcome back. Let's talk a little ICBC for you. Just in the last half hour, David Eby, the Attorney General, he's the Cabinet Minister responsible for ICBC, been doing a news conference with Nicholas Jimenez. He is the President of the Public Auto Insurance Monopoly. And this is what I was afraid of. You know, this is What's coming out of this thing is, is kind of what I was afraid of. We know that the accident rate is down dramatically in BC with fewer people driving. So you also know that ICBC's got to be saving a lot of money because they're paying out less in claims. So they have confirmed that, yeah, the accident rate's down, ICBC saving money, but no rebate to BC drivers. No rebate to drive. I mean, they're giving rebates in other provinces. I was afraid of this. I, and they also saying, well, we're, we're losing money on our investment portfolio because, you know, that's ICBC will take in a lot of money and they will invest it and dip into it and sort of a, a reserve of cash and investments. And well, you know, stock market's gone down, so we're losing money. And of course, it's the liberals fault. It's always the liberals fault. Don't blame us. I was really kind of hoping that maybe today there would be some sort of payback or rebate for BC drivers with ICBC saving all this money. Sadly, 
it doesn't look like that's what's going on. Let's check in with Aaron Sutherland right now. He's the vice president, the Insurance Bureau of Canada. They represent the private insurance companies. I know he's been monitoring that those announcements this morning. Aaron, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Here so, so what is the latest? What have you heard here of, of out of uh, EB today? What jumps out at you? Well, I, I think it's just another disappointing day for, for drivers in this province. I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're pointing to the uncertainty that remains as a result of COVID-19, the impact it's had on ICBC's investments. But the fact of the matter is, this pandemic has impacted every insurer in this country. But that hasn't stopped them from providing $600 million back to their customers in recognition of the fact that we're driving less and our premium should reflect that. ICBC has the dubious distinction of being one of the only insurers in this country that simply is failing to support its customers at this time. You know, they've, they've said quite clearly, they've seen in a six-week period $158 million in savings due to fewer claims, a 46% drop in claims, yet they're returning none of that savings to their customers. I think that's a real, uh, you know, really unfortunate scenario, and it shows that ICBC is taking its customers for granted. Uh, and again, if, if ICBC won't return premiums, won't support its customers at this time, it's high time we allow drivers to shop around to find an insurer that will. What are other jurisdictions doing? Have there been rebates to drivers in other provinces? Yeah, in other provinces, you know, companies are giving back automatic rebates of up to 25%. No phone calls, you know, you don't have to contact your broker, contact your insurer, just a check in the mail and money back in your pocket. Just next door in Alberta, insurers are giving back over $100 million to their customers in recognition of the fact that they're driving less. But here in BC, uh, we're getting nothing from ICBC. And, and again, it's just another failing of ICBC's monopoly. It takes its, com- its customers for granted. And it's yet more evidence of the fact that drivers deserve a choice and we should be able to shop around. If we don't like the service ICBC is providing, we should be allowed to take our business elsewhere. Okay. Today is just another example of that. If David Eby was here right now, I'm certain he would dispute what you just said. I'm just looking on the news coverage of this breaking story here at this hour. So I'm looking at Richard Zussman, the very fine global news reporter, who says that he tweeted out a few minutes ago, Eby is questioning whether private insurance companies are actually offering substantial savings to drivers. So I'm sure if Eby was here right now, he'd be calling BS on you. Private insurers across this country are providing $600 million back to their customers. I'd call that pretty substantial. ICBC is providing exactly zero. So I think there's a pretty stark contrast there. Uh, how, how do we know, hey, Aaron, how do we know that private insurance companies are giving back $600 million? I mean, is there like a, a statute requiring disclosure on that? Like, are we certain that that's a number? Well, I mean, you, you, can, you can Google it. Like, they're, they're, either, they're doing it in a, a number of ways. Some are providing automatic rebates of up to 25%. You don't have to call. Others are saying, you know, uh, they're creating new policies called stay-at-home policies where you can save up to 75% uh, of your premium. So, you know, it's it, there's a, over 100 different auto insurance companies out there. They're doing it in a variety of different ways. But when you tally it all up, they're giving $600 million back. You know, we're going to have more to say on that uh, in the coming months as we continue to tally the money going back into drivers' pockets in other provinces. Yeah. It won't take us long to tally what's going back here in BC because it's zero. Uh, And it's basically ICBC is one of the only insurers in this country that isn't giving rebates. Uh, I think the other one of the other ones uh, is, of course, Saskatchewan's government insurer. And it it really shows you that when companies have a monopoly, they take your business for granted and they don't have have an incentive to provide the best possible service to their customers. We're seeing that here today with ICBC. Uh, They're blaming investment income. They're blaming 
you know, drop in, in written premiums, things like that. But those are challenges every insurer in this country is dealing with. Okay. Uh, the fact of the matter is they're seeing savings and they're not providing that back to their customers. Speaking to Aaron Sutherland, Insurance Bureau of Canada, I'm kind of disappointed and I'm, I'm surprised to an extent. I was kind of afraid this would happen today that they would acknowledge they're saving a ton of money with less of a crash rate. And I was afraid they wouldn't give anything back to BC drivers. But I was kind of hoping that that wasn't going to happen. And one of the reasons why I thought it might not, like one of the reasons I thought there maybe there would be a rebate today was this, we got an election next year. We know that in an election, ICBC is going to be an issue. And the liberals are maybe out there arguing for privatization auto insurance. And I think David Eby is a guy who's been getting repetitive strain injury from patting himself in the back for how he's managed this file, putting out this dumpster fire. And this would have been a glorious opportunity to give some give something back to BC drivers and to show that, look, your sacrifices and our hard work are paying off. So in that respect, I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't happened. Uh, maybe it does happen as we get closer to another election. You know, then they give some money back. Maybe it's maybe it's too far out from an election cycle right now. But when they say that, you know, we're losing a ton of money on our our, in, our investments, is that a legit excuse? Oh, I don't think it is at all. Because a investments are long term, and b every insurer in the country has seen a hit to their investment portfolio because of COVID nineteen. But that hasn't stopped them from returning money to drivers in recognition of the fact that they're driving us. We do know that next year IC is going, ICBC is going to be giving us rate rebates and dropping their prices six months out from the next election. Uh, you know, we've seen this, we've seen this story before back, they did this back in 2001, the last time competition and choice were seriously considered. Um, you know, but what's clear, long term, BC drivers are paying more than anyone else in this country for auto insurance. Uh, that's true today. It's likely to be true tomorrow. It's likely to be true uh, many years from now. The well, fact of the matter is, when you don't have a choice, you pay more. All right. Welcome back. Talking about ICBC and David Eby, the Attorney General, the Minister Responsible, announcing ICBC is saving money from a reduced crash rate, but losing money on their investment portfolio. There will be no rebate to BC drivers, at least not not right now. I bet you they give you one before the next election, though. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Aaron Sutherland, Insurance Bureau of Canada, is my guest. Let's go to your phone calls. Ingrid calling in from North Van. Hi, Ingrid. Hi. Thank you so much for taking the call. Sure. I totally agree that we in the year 2020 in BC, we should not have a monopoly of insurance company. It's ridiculous. I think ICBC takes advantage of its customers because we, we have no choice. Their service yeah. sucks. And they're every other province, or not every other province, but... Um, a lot of other problems are giving rebates and everything to customers, and ICBC is doing absolutely zero to help out their customers because they don't have to. Okay, Anger, thank you for the call. You, Aaron, you've been calling for choice in auto insurance. Obviously, you're with the insurance business, so that's you know you're advocating for your people. But the most common the most common uh, complaint about that idea is that if you did allow private sector competition, that the private sector companies would just skim off all of the safest drivers and IC refuse to insure dangerous drivers and ICBC would be stuck with all the worst drivers. I've asked, yeah. you, this, I've asked you this many times before. How do you respond to that? So I would say that's not what I'm calling for at all. And I wouldn't suggest that because that makes no sense. That wouldn't be fair to, to drivers. That wouldn't be fair to taxpayers. 
But what, what we should do is we should all have the opportunity to shop around to find the best insurer that best meets our needs. If that's ICBC, great. If it's somebody else, even better, because that means we're saving money. But don't let other insurers in here to skim drivers off the top, as you say. Let's do it the same way they do it in every other province and jurisdiction uh, in this country where drivers have a choice. And what it means, if other companies want to come here, if they want to sell you insurance, they have to sell it to one and all. They have to sell it to every driver, regardless of their driving uh, history and their driving records. That's how they do it in Alberta. That's how they do it in Ontario, Quebec, uh, Atlantic Canada, many other provinces. You know, there's no reason we can't find common sense ways to bring choice and competition to this marketplace. And if ICBC is as great as government says it is, nothing would change. But if it's not, drivers would save money. And I I think everybody knows deep down it probably isn't. And that's the real hesitation towards opening ICBC up is they know it could lose all its customers very, very quickly. Back to the phone lines, Mike calling in from Vernon. Hi, Mike. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Morning to your guest. Um, a couple of points here. I'll make them quickly. First of all, $600 million across Canada when you average it amongst all the drivers. I'm, I'd like to know what that works out to per driver. I'm sure it's not a heck of a lot. Um, I'm no lover of ICVC, but then again, um, I'm no fan of private insurance either. I've had my problems with them. Um, you know, but uh, one thing ICBC's done, and your, your guest hasn't spoken about this, is that there is rebates available, and that is you can exchange your insurance if you're not driving back and forth to work from that to a pleasure use only, and that reduces your rate by a, a fairly decent amount. So to say that there are no um, opportunities to save on your insurance is not entirely true. Aaron Southern. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think that's a good point, and, and those savings are, of course, going to depend on, on your driving usage. So in, in B.C. right now, just as every other time uh, you've ever wanted to, you could change your driving usage from work to pleasure uh, and see some savings there. Now, those savings are going to vary depend on how far you drive to and from work and, and what, the, what the difference is between uh, what you're doing with your car. But if you're on a pleasure policy right now, there's really nothing else you can do even if, uh, other than simply parking your car and, and put it, you know, throwing the keys away. So, you know, you certainly can do that. Um, with regards to the $600 million that, that uh, every other auto insurer is, is providing back to their customers across the country, yeah. uh, I, would, I would mention that is $600 million, you know, j- just during COVID-19. So it's basically between April and June. So just a couple months. Uh, and so when you take that $600 million and put it over just a few months, that's pretty substantial. And, and savings are, of course, going to vary by customer. Um, you know, if you've, had, if you've had accidents in last year, you know, you may still see a premium increase. But on average, drivers, you know, drivers are going to see uh, some pretty good savings because of this. And, and again, it's all in recognition of the fact that people are driving less, claims are down, uh, and your premiums should reflect that. That is a a sentiment that other car insurers are adhering to in this country. Unfortunately, it is not something ICBC seems to agree with. They're saving $160 million in six weeks alone due to COVID, uh, but they're not returning any of those savings to their customers. Keep calling me up on ICBC. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Karen calling in from Langley. Hi, Karen. Okay, let's go to Nilon instead. He's in Port Coquitlam. Hello, Yes, uh, I'd like to mention, say say something. Never, 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 never private insurance. He can claim whatever he wants. He can say, oh, yeah, everybody can can, 
get insurance from us, but he doesn't say how much would they charge to those people. I, I, I had some friends from Ontario and so on, and they, they're telling me horror stories of private insurances. So as far as I'm concerned, never, 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 never. Okay, Neilan, thank you for calling in. Aaron, what do you say to him? You know, look, um, if you're happy with ICBC, you could, under a, an, under a system where you had choice, you had competition, you should be able to stay with ICBC. Uh, but if you can Yeah, you're not, say, you're not saying privatize ICBC or shut down ICBC and completely privatize it. You're saying let them, you're saying let private companies compete against ICBC. I'm simply, yeah, exactly. I'm saying let them compete equally. If yeah. you like ICBC, you should be able to stay with ICBC. But if you don't, and many of us don't, you should be able to take your business elsewhere, if you, and particularly if you can find those savings. It's what can we do to ensure that we are getting the most affordable auto insurance possible? And the best way we can ensure that is to let other companies bring their innovations, bring their efficiencies, and see if they can drive the price of auto insurance down here in this province. If they can, we're all saving money. Okay. If they if they can't, nothing would change. So I'm, I'm not really sure what the risk is of opening ICBC up and giving drivers that choice. Back to the phone lines, Doug in Surrey. Hi, Doug. How are you today? Good. Go ahead. Yeah, and it was, well, my concern is that um, ICBC no matter how long you've been driving, you've got a good, safe driving record. You put in a claim with them, for example. All you do is give you the runaround. Don't want to do nothing. Don't want to pay for anything. I have an existing claim right now and have personal injury, and they don't pay for this. They don't pay for that. Yes, they want me to get back to work in a hurry, but yet they do nothing to help me out to get back to work. Again, like I say, it's a bleeding dumpster, and it's never going to stop until they cut the apples at the top and thin it out. They just so they just don't spend the money. They don't do what they should. And the okay. Christie Gore government took, took the money away years ago. Thank you, Doug, for the call. Uh, 30 seconds, Aaron. We, we could probably fill a whole show with people complaining about ICBC, but is that fair? Look, look, I think at the end of the day, we need to think about what is the best way to incentivize ICBC to deliver the best product, the best service, and the best possible price. And I think monopolies have a pretty poor track record of ever achieving any of those goals. We're seeing that here in BC. We've seen it in ICBC having lost $3 billion in the last three or four years. Uh, and we're seeing it again here today with ICBC okay. seeing over $100 million in savings, yet none of that going back to its customers. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me.